Chapter Twelve of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Twelve. A semi-detached dwelling in a part of Hammersmith, just being invaded by the social class below that for which it was built, where in consequence rents had slightly fallen and notices of apartments were beginning to rise, where itinerant vendors, finding a new market, strained their voices with special discord, where hired pianos vied with each other through party walls, where the earth was always very dusty or very muddy, and the sky above in all seasons had a discouraging hue. The house itself, furnished half-heartedly, as if it was felt to be a mere encampment, no comfort in any chamber, no air of home. Hannaford had not cared to distribute his mementos of battle and death in the room called his own. They remained in packing-cases. Each member of the family, unhappy trio, knew that their state was transitional, and waited rather than lived. With the surprise of a woman long bitter against destiny, Mrs. Hannaford learnt that something had happened, and that it was a piece of good, not ill, fortune. When her brother left the house, having waited two hours in vain for Olga's return, she made a change of garb, arranged her hair with something of the old grace, and moved restlessly from room to room. A light had touched her countenance, dispelling years of premature age. She was still a handsome woman. She could still find in her heart the courage for a strong decision. There was no maid. Mrs. Hannaford herself laid upon the table what was to serve for an evening meal, and she had just done so when her daughter came in. Olga had changed considerably in the past three years. At one and twenty she would have passed for several years older. Her complexion was fatigued. Her mouth had a nervous mobility which told of suppressed suffering. Her movements were impatient, irritable, but at this moment she did not wear a look of unhappiness. There was a glow in her fine eyes, a tremor of resolve on all her features. On entering the room where her mother stood, she at once noticed a change. Their looks met. They gazed excitedly at each other. "'What is it? Why have you dressed?' "'Because I'm a free woman. My sister is dead and has left me a lot of money.' They rushed into each other's arms, and they caressed with tears and sobs. It was minutes before they could utter more than broken phrases and exclamations. "'What shall you do?' the girl asked at length, holding her mother's hand against her heart. Of late there had been unwanted conflict between them, and in the reaction of joy they became all tenderness. "'What I ought to have done long ago! Go and live away!' "'Will it be possible, dear?' "'It shall be!' exclaimed the mother vehemently. I am not a slave. I am not a wife. I ought to have had courage to go away years since. It was wrong, wrong to live as I have done. The money is my own, and I will be free. He shall have a third of it every year if he leaves me free. One third is yours, one mine. No, no, said Olga, drawing back. Oh, for me, none of it. Yes, you will live with me. You will, Olga. This makes everything different. You'll see now that you cannot do what you thought of. Oh, don't speak of it now. Think. Wait. 
The girl moved apart. Her face lost its brightness, hardened in passionate determination. "'I can't begin all that again,' she said, with an accent of weariness. Oh, "'No, I won't speak of it now, Olga. But will you do one thing for me? Will you put it off for a short time? I'll tell you what I've planned. Your uncle and I talked it all over. I must leave this house before he comes back, tomorrow morning. I can't go to your uncle's house as he asked me. You see why it's better not, don't you?' The best will be to go into lodgings for a time, and not to let him know where I am, till I hear whether he will accept the terms I offer. Look, I have enough money for the present. She showed gold that had been left with her by Dr. Derwent. But am I to go alone? Will you desert me in my struggle? I want you, dear. I need your help. Oh, it would be cruel to leave me just now. Will you put it off for a few weeks, until I know what my life is going to be? You won't refuse me this one thing, Olga, after all we've gone through together. For a few weeks, of course I will do that, replied the girl, still in an attitude of resistance. But you mustn't deceive yourself, mother. My mind is made up. Nothing will change it. Money is nothing to me. We shall be able to live... I can count on you till the struggle is over. I won't leave you until it's settled. And perhaps there'll be no struggle at all. I should think it will be enough for you to say what you've decided. Oh, perhaps. But I can't feel sure. He has got to be such a tyrant. And it will enrage him. But perhaps the money. Yes, he'll be glad of the money. Presently they sat down to make a pretense of eating. It was over in a few minutes. Mrs. Hannaford made known in detail what she had rapidly decided with her brother. Tonight she would pack her clothing and Olga's, she would leave a letter for her husband, and early in the morning they would leave London. Not for any distant hiding place, it was better to be within easy reach of Dr. Derwent, and a retreat in Surrey would best suit their purposes some place where lodgings could be at once obtained. The subject of difference put aside, they talked again freely and affectionately of this sudden escape from a life which in any case Mrs. Hannaford could not have endured much longer. About nine o'clock the quiet of the house was broken by a postman's knock. Olga ran to take the letter, and exclaimed on seeing the address. "'Why, it's from Mr. Otway, and an English stamp!' Mrs. Hannaford found a note of a few lines. Piers Otway had reached London that morning, and would be in town for a day or two only, before going on into Yorkshire. Could he see his old friends tomorrow? He would call in the afternoon. "'Better reply tonight,' said Olga, "'and save him the trouble of coming here.' The letter in her hand, Mrs. Hannaford stood thinking, a half-smile about her lips. "'Yes, I must write,' she said slowly. "'But perhaps he could come and see us in the country. "'I'll tell him where we're going.' "'They talked of possible retreats, "'and decided upon Epsom, "'which was not far from their old home at Ewell, "'and then Mrs. Hannaford replied to Otway. "'Through the past three years she had often heard from him, "'and she knew that he was purposing a visit to England, "'but no date had been mentioned. "'After writing, she was silent and thoughtful.' Olga, too, having been out to post the letter, 
sat absorbed in her own meditations. They did some hasty packing before bedtime, but talked little. They were to rise early and flee at once from the hated house. A sunny morning, it was July, saw them start on their journey, tremulous but rejoicing. Long before midday they had found lodgings that suited them, and had made themselves at home. The sense of liberty gave everything a delightful aspect. Their little sitting-room was perfection, the trees and fields had an ideal beauty after Hammersmith, and they promised themselves breezy walks on the downs above. Not a word of the trouble between them. The mother held to a hope that the great change of circumstance would insensibly turn Olga's thoughts from her reckless purpose, and for the moment Olga herself seemed happy in self-forgetfulness. The man to whom she had plighted herself was named Kite. He did not look like a bird of prey. His countenance, his speech, were anything but sinister. But for his unlucky position, Mrs. Hannaford would probably have rather taken to him. Olga's announcement came with startling suddenness. For a twelve-month she had been trying to make money by artistic work, and to a small extent had succeeded, managing to sell a few drawings to weekly papers, and even to get a poor little commission for the illustrating of a poor little book. In this way she had made a few acquaintances in the so-called bohemian world, but she spoke seldom of them, and Mrs. Hannaford suspected no special intimacy with anyone whose name was mentioned to her. One evening, a week ago, Olga said quietly that she was going to be married. Mr. Kite was summoned to Hammersmith, a lank, loose-limbed, indolent-looking man of thirty or so, with a long, thin face, tangled hair and gentle eyes. The clothes he wore were decent, but suggested the idea that they had been purchased at second hand. They did not fit him well. Perhaps he was the kind of man whose clothes never do fit. Unless Mrs. Hannaford was mistaken, his breath wafted an alcoholic odour, but Mr. Kite had every appearance of present sobriety. He seemed chronically tired, sat down with a little sigh of satisfaction, stretched his legs, and let his arms fall full length. To the maternal eye, a singular problematic being, anything but likely to inspire confidence. Yet he talked agreeably, if oddly. His incomplete sentences were full of good feeling. Above all, he evidently meant to be frank, put his poverty in the boldest aspect, set forth his hopes with extreme moderation. "'We seem to suit each other,' was his quiet remark, with a glance at Olga, and Mrs. Hannaford could not doubt that he meant well. But what a match! Scarcely had he gone when the mother began her dissuasions, and from that moment there was misery. For Olga, Mrs. Hannaford had always been ambitious. The girl was clever, warm-hearted, and in her way handsome. But for the disastrous father, she would have had every chance of marrying well. Mrs. Hannaford was not a worldly woman, and all her secret inclinations were to romance, but it is hard for a mother to dissociate the thought of marriage from that of wealth and respectability. Mr. Kite, well-meaning as he might be, would never do. Today there was truce. They talked much of Piers Otway, and in the afternoon, as had been arranged by letter, both went to the railway station to meet the train by which it was hoped he would come. Piers arrived. 
How much improved was the thought of both. He was larger, manlier, and though still of pale complexion, had no longer the bloodless look of years ago. Walking, he bore himself well. He was self-possessed in manner, courteous in not quite the English way, brief at first in his sentences, but his face lit with cordiality. On the way to the ladies' lodgings, he stole frequent glances at one and the other. Plainly he saw change in them, and perhaps not for the better. Mrs. Hannaford kept mentally comparing him with the scarecrow kite. A tremor of speculation took hold upon her. A flush was on her cheeks. She talked nervously and laughed much. Nothing was to be said about the flight from home. They were at Epsom for a change of air. But Mrs. Hannaford could not keep silence concerning her good fortune. She had revealed it in a few nervous words before they reached the house. "'You'll live in London?' asked Otway. Oh, "'Oh, that isn't settled. It would be nice to go abroad again. We like Geneva.' "'I must tell you about a Swiss friend of mine,' Piers resumed. "'A man you would like, of the best, jolliest and most amusing fellow I ever met. His name is Montchamon. He's in business at Odessa. There was talk of his coming to England with me, but we put it off another time.' He's a man who does me good, but for him I shouldn't have held on. Then you don't like it, after all? asked Mrs. Hannaford. Like it? No, but I have stuck to it, partly for very shame, as you know. I've stuck to it hard, and it's getting too late to think of anything else. I have plans, I'll tell you. These plans were laid open when tea had been served in the little sitting-room. Piers had it in mind to start an independent business together with his friend Monchamon, one of them to live in Russia and one in London. My father has promised the money. He promised three years ago. I might have had it when I liked, but I should have been ashamed to ask till a reasonable time had gone by. It won't be a large capital, but Monchamon has some, and putting it together we shall manage to start, I think. He paused, watching the effect of his announcement. Mrs. Hannaford was radiant with pleasure, and Olga looked amused. "'Why do you laugh?' Piers asked, turning to the girl. "'I didn't exactly laugh, but it seems odd. I can't quite think of you as a merchant.' "'To tell you the truth, I can't quite think of myself in that light either. I'm only a bungler at commerce, but I've worked hard, and I have a certain amount of knowledge.' For one thing, I've got hold of the language. This last year I've travelled a good deal in Russia for our firm, and it often struck me that I might just as well be doing the business on my own account. I dreamt once of a partnership with our people, but there's no chance of that. They're very close. Besides, they don't make any serious account of me. I'm not the type that gains English confidence. Strange that I get on so much better with almost any other nationality. With men, that is to say. He smiled and reddened, and turned it off with a laugh. For the moment he was his old self, and his wandering eyes kept a look such as had often been seen in them during that month of torture three years ago. You are quite sure, said Mrs. Hannaford, that it wouldn't be better to use your capital in some other way? Oh, don't! don't piers exclaimed tossing his arm in exaggerated dread don't set me adrift again 
I've thought about it. It's settled. This is the only way of making money that I can see. You're so set on making money, said Olga, looking at him in surprise. Savagely set on it. You have really come to see that as the end of life? Olga asked, regarding him curiously. The end? Oh, dear, no. The means of life. Only the means. Olga was about to put another question, but she met her mother's eye and kept silence. All were silent for a space, and meditative. They went out to walk together, looking over the wide prospect from the top of the downs, the soft English landscape, homely and peaceful. Otway talked of Russia. It was a country, he said, which interested him more the more he knew of it. He hoped to know it very well, and perhaps, here he grew dreamy, to impart his knowledge to others. Not many Englishmen mastered the language, or indeed knew anything of it. That huge empire was a mere blank to be filled up by the imaginings of prejudice and hostility. Was it not a task worth setting before oneself, worth pursuing for a lifetime, that of trying to make known to English folk their bugbear of the East? Then this, said Olga, is to be the end of your life. The end? No, not even that. On their return, he found himself alone with Mrs. Hannaford for a few minutes. He spoke abruptly, with an effort. Do you see much of the Derwents? Oh, not much. Our lives are so different, you know. Will you tell me frankly, if I called there when I come south again, should I be welcome? Oh, why not? replied the lady, veiling embarrassment. I see. Otway's face darkened. You think it better I shouldn't. I understand. Olga reappeared, and the young man turned to her with resolute cheerfulness. When at length he took leave of his friends, they saw nothing but good spirits and healthful energy. He would certainly see them again before leaving England, and before long would let them know all his projects in detail. So he went his way into the summer night, back to the roaring world of London. One man in the multitude, who knew his heart's desire, and saw all else in the light thereof. For three days Mrs. Hannaford and her daughter lived expectant, and then arrived an answer to the letter left behind at Hammersmith. It came through Dr. Derwent's solicitor, whose address Mrs. Hannaford had given for this purpose. A curt, dry communication, saying simply that the fugitive might do as she chose and would never be interfered with. Parting was, under the circumstances, evidently the wise course. But it must be definite, legalised. The writer had no wish ever to see his wife again. As to her suggestion about money, in that too she would please herself. It relieved him to know her independent, and he was glad to be equally so. For all that, Lee Hannaford made no objection to receiving the portion of his wife's income which she offered, he took it without thanks, keeping his reflections to himself, and therewith was practically dissolved one at least of the innumerable mock marriages which burden the lives of mankind. Mrs. Hannaford's only bitterness was that in law she remained wedded. It soothed her but moderately to reflect that she was a martyr to national morality. She was pressed to come and stay for a while in Bryanston Square, but Olga would not accept that invitation. 
her mother's affairs being satisfactorily settled the girl returned to her fixed purpose she would hear of no further postponement of her marriage thereupon mrs hannaford took a step she feared to be useless but which was the only hope remaining to her she wrote to kite she explained to him her circumstances she asked him whether out of justice to olga who might repent a hasty union he would join her mrs hannaford in a decision to put off the marriage for one year if in a twelvemonth olga was still of the same mind all opposition would be abandoned and more than that pecuniary help would be given to the couple she appealed to his manhood to his generosity to his good sense and much to her surprise the appeal was successful kite wrote the oddest letter in reply all disjointed philosophizing with the gist that perhaps mrs hannaford was right no harm in waiting a year perhaps much good life was a mystery love was uncertain he would get on with his art the only stable thing from his point of view from her next meeting with her lover olga came back pale and wretched i must go and live alone mother she said i must go to london and work this life would be impossible to me now she would hear of nothing else her marriage was postponed they need say no more about it if her mother would let her have a little money till she could support herself she'd be grateful but she must live apart and so after many tears it was decided olga went by herself into lodgings and mrs hannaford accepted her brother's invitation to bryanston square End of chapter twelve